Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, August 17th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Caitlin McGrath here with you on this Thursday. We're going to dig into the AL East. Caitlin covers the Blue Jays for the Athletic, as many of you already know. So we're going to talk about a team that was clearly on the rise in recent years and is still in this really nice competitive window. We're going to try and answer a broader question about this team. Are the 2023 Blue Jays better than the 2022 version? So we're going to dig into a lot of different corners of that roster. And then we're going to take a tour of the rest of the AL East, where the Yankees have sunk like a stone in recent weeks. And it looks like there are four contenders with that number, maybe dwindling to three in the near future too, depending on what happens with the Red Sox. But Caitlin, first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, dive into the uh, best division in baseball. I think that's fair to say. Best division in baseball. I was expected going into the season for a little while. The NL West looked like it might uh, give the AL East a run for the money, but a couple teams have faded in that division as well. I like this Jays team a lot. I like the way they had a young group of position players come up together. I think they're a fun team to watch. And they don't have a lot of big questions sort of looming on the horizon at the end of the season. The biggest thing they have to figure out is Matt Chapman's a free agent at the end of the season. But Vlad and Bo, the core is going to be in place for a long, long time. Let's start in this rotation, though. Like this rotation has been fascinating for a lot of reasons. Kevin Gossman, I think, has become a a capital A ace in recent years. He's sort of lived up to the expectations. And Chris Bassett's been solid. But everything else in this rotation has been up and down. So Let's start with Yusei Kikuchi. Like, what has changed for Yusei Kikuchi? How has he been so good this season? Yeah, I mean, he's probably been one of the best stories in terms of, um, you know, the Blue Jays and the pitching staff. Um, Kikuchi, he's confident. He's riding a lot of confidence right now. His command and his control has improved significantly. That was the biggest thing with him last year was just wild command a ton of walks would get himself into trouble would sort of unravel give up a big three run home run or something like that and so that's not been happening this year he's just not issuing very many free passes he's striking guys out not as high clip as possible for him but still pretty significant i think around 25 percent. whereas his walk rate is like a career low something around six percent right now so those are the things that he's doing. He's been using his fastball, which his fastball has always been really good. Like it can be 96, 97, obviously lefty as well. Um, But it's the the two breaking pitches that I think have been really significant for him. It's using the slider, having it at the right velocity, which it's like almost the faster the slider is, it's worse because then it looks like a cutter and there's not enough separation. So he's been using the slider really well, getting it at that sort of, I think like 88 velocity, but also kind of throwing it for like uh strike to ball and sort of executing it really well. And then flipping in the curveball has been big for him too. It just gives him a different look. And I think he throws the curveball mostly just for strike pitches. I think he was saying the other day, like he doesn't get a ton of like um chase on the curveball. So it's better that he just like throws it for strikes. And I think that it just adds a different look. So you're dealing with a slider that's well executed that you can get some chase on it. You have a a fastball that can blow guys away and then you have that curveball that you're mixing in. And I think a lot of it honestly is just like the confidence too. Like he's been really efficient with the pitches too. Um so he's not getting into as deep counts and I think that's just like helped him a lot. Um just be able to get through six innings and just pile up a lot of these um really quality starts. I think that basically since the All-Star break he's among the best pitchers in the American League in all of baseball, I think, actually. 
Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch him. As you said, he's always had a really good fastball, and uh, the command has been just short of disastrous some years. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes. and this is, uh, this is great. I mean, last year he had a 12.8% walk rate this year is 6.6. So that's, that's just a real big turnaround. I think some of it has been, you know, actually sort of slimming down the arsenal. He's, he's mostly fastball slider, mm -hmm. but it's interesting to hear you talk about that curveball. I think he's still kind of searching for a third pitch. He's had a cutter. He's, uh, you know, early this season, mm -hmm. even he used the change more. Um, you know, yeah. so I, I do think he's a two pitch guy that is kind of searching for a, a good strategy with the third pitch. Um, but with the good velo, when he's, uh, putting the fastball anywhere near the zone, I think what he can do is place the slider. He can place the slider. He's more command of the slider. And so sometimes he pitches a mm -hmm. little backwards, uh, despite his great velo. Um, but, um, it's it's a testament to what you can do with two good pitches and you know one of your better command years. I think he's uh, been a revelation. I was just gonna say like they're different pitchers slightly, but um one like a comparison you can make because same team is Robbie Ray yep. twenty twenty one and then Yusei Kikuchi this year and um I mean it's kind of similar success stories too where it's like you just tell the guy your your stuff is good you can throw it in the zone and I think it's been a little bit different they're two different style pitchers and all that stuff they're not the same but you can make the comparison like the you say kikuchi probably not going to be a Cy young winner this year but certainly like a lot of parallels with that oh you know i really like that uh when robbie ray came to toronto he had his best zone uh, percentage uh that he had you know, three three years prior he'd been like around 38 and he went jumped up to 44 um, you know, and you say Kikuchi, this is one of his best zone rates as well. And, you know, you have the slimming down of the, re of the repertoire, you know, telling yeah. Robbie, just throw your two best pitches, man. And, exactly. Uh, a little bit of that with Kikuchi. And I remember after Robbie Ray made that improvement, after years of struggling with walks, the big question we all had was, how sticky is this? Can he carry this skill over into future seasons? And an injury this year, of course, cut you know, a season short, but it kind of looks like a longer term skills improvement. If that's the case for Kikuchi, that's a huge lift for the Jays. To your point, Caitlin, Kikuchi actually leads the league in war among pitchers since the All-Star break. He's been fantastic. 129 ERA over those last six starts. Jose Barrios this year looks more like the guy the Jays probably thought they were getting when they gave him that contract extension. The K rate is up again. The ratios are back in a normal place, kind of a mid threes ERA, much better whip. What's changed for Barrios? Because I couldn't find a lot that changed with him when he was bad compared to his previous years when he was good. Was there an actual adjustment made that has enabled him to get back on track this year? I think the command has been a lot better. I think when um, last year he was just missing a lot in the middle of the plate. And so it's just being a lot more fine with the command. I think there's been some delivery tweaks as well. I think that um, yeah, it's hard to remember now, but I remember in spring kind of him talking about just like maybe with different pitches last year, he kind of noticed that he had different release points and stuff like that. And that probably was throwing him off. And so I think there's been a lot of work being done just to smooth that delivery, make sure the mechanics are right, making sure that the release point is the same. Um, but I think it's just been like a finer command for him. It's just not missing so much in the middle. Last year, he was getting hit so hard sometimes. Um, and his season last year was so weird because, you know, it would be like a run of like, okay starts fine starts good starts and then there'd just be like one absolute disaster he'd give up like six runs in the first inning and, and then it would be like he'd be fine 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 and then disaster again and so like it looked really bad because the bad ones were just so bad but i think he ended up having like quite a few wins for the blue jays last year like if you looked at their overall record when him when he was pitching like they actually performed pretty well. They tended to score a lot when he was on the mound. So um, it was just such a weird season. But he just looks exactly like the guy that he was like when they acquired him in 2021 and the guy that he was in Minnesota for a lot of time. Just very reliable. You kind of know what you're going to get from him. And you're not necessarily classifying him as an ace, but you're very much classifying him as like a solid like three or four in your rotation that you would take. Um, you kind of know what you're going to get. And I think the slurve has been a good pitch for him. Um, he's getting a lot of... Um, you know, swings on that. And I think it's really just come down to better fastball command for him. Totally. 
Yeah, he's an interesting guy because you know if you look at a lot of different uh, statistics that sum up a pitcher and try to look beyond results. Last year, uh, he was actually the same as he ever was. <laughs> you know, like uh, there are there are estimations like Sierra is a number. Uh, you know, on Fangraphs, it's a it's an ERA estimator. Um, you know, for his career, he was he has a four twelve Sierra. Last year was a 413. This year is a 419. It's like there's no difference there. That's within error bars. If you look at, you know, I've got a stuff plus number, you know, and, and that has, um, you know, locations in it too. He was 100 stuff plus last year. He's 100 stuff plus this year. He's 103 location plus last year. 103 location plus this year. Like it, basically, I think a lot of the stuff under the hood was the same. And the, it is interesting you bring up the the uh, the bad innings. Um, wasn't he also dealing with some personal stuff last year? That's kind of what I heard. Uh, he hasn't really opened up about it, so I just kind of heard it between you right. know just talking to other people and stuff like that. He seems in a better place this year, and you know it's hard to tell too because like obviously players are human beings and they're dealing with their lives. Um, and then you know he comes out of a bad start and he seems down and you're like he seems down because he just had the bad start. And this year he hasn't had those bad starts, so you're seeing him and he's in a ah, better mood all right, the time. But obviously like he's pitching better, so right. it's hard to like read into like is he in a better mood because he's pitching better? Is he better in mood just overall? But yeah. I would say I have noticed um, a change in him this year. He just seems um, a lot more like himself, a lot more comfortable. Another way of thinking about it is, you know, kind of first full year with a team, a new team, you know? Yeah. And and this is after, this is a guy who spent, you know, five seasons, five and a half seasons in Minnesota. So you kind of just get used to what you're doing. You're, I mean, you're like literally in a new country. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I, I think sometimes I have a, a, a pair of analysts in, in the fantasy space that say, you know, never, never uh, pick up a player that in their first year of their big, of a big new contract. Yes, I think that I think that was a thing like he wouldn't say it. But how could it not be like you were the opening day starter? You signed this like, you know, six year, seven year contract, whatever it was, 135 million, 136 million. Yeah. Like and then, you know, it's weird. I know we're going to talk about him in a minute, but like here, my uh, my pet theory is there's some opening day uh, curse on the Blue Jays right now because <laughs> we've got Alec Manoa, of course, was opening day starter this year. Um, the year before it was um, Jose Brios. I think maybe one of the years before it was Hanjin Ryu, and then he got hurt. And think about just the shape of things. Like you're 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 talking about this opening day curse. Like even opening day was awful. You know, <laughs> like not oh just, yeah, not just two who started bad opening, opening day. days in a, in a row where they've. They've actually won them both, but in a very chaotic way, which has set the, that set the scene for the seasons, really. Last year, Berrios uh, got one out opening day. Yeah. And yeah. You, like, you think of that just in the, in, the, in the course of like, okay, I just signed this big contract. I'm the opening day starter. Oh, God. <laughs> like, what? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then, yeah, then there was a bunch of blow, uh, blow up, six runs, eight runs, and he kind of yeah. uh, righted chip a little bit, uh, but he still had these like weird blow ups that season. And he's just, yeah. he's pretty much avoided those. Although his first start this year was an eight run uh, whopper. So he's, he's just avoided them since. Maybe he's like, oh man, I, I've had these before. It's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> He's failed enough to cope better with the occasional failure now as a result of 2022. Maybe. Growing from the failures. Maybe that's what's going on with Jose Barrios. Caitlin, uh, we have talked a lot about Alec Manoa on our fantasy mm -hmm. show, Rates and Barrels, trying to make sense of how someone could come into the league and pitch so well for more than 50 big league starts to begin his career. And then a new season begins and he just completely falls apart. We saw the demotion down to the complex league for a bit, came back from that faster than expected, looked a mm -hmm. little bit better. I saw the start where he missed up and hit Taylor Ward in the face with a pitch. Yeah. And it's just, you could just tell he's not the same guy from a command perspective. How much of the struggles of Alec Manoa this year do you think can be reasonably linked to the pitch clock, given that he was one of the slower working starting mm -hmm. pitchers in the league? prior to the addition of the clock. Yeah, I mean, understandably, the Blue Jays and Manoa haven't sort of openly wanted to use that as an excuse 
but you have to assume it was a factor. Like it has affected a lot of different pitchers um, in different ways. Going back to Kikuchi, I think it's actually helped him a ton because he was an overthinker on the mound and he would miss, miss, and he starts getting in his head. Now he doesn't have time to do that. And actually mm. he's, and they, I remember them talking about it in spring training and them saying like, I think this is going to be a good thing for him. And it turned out that it was. Um, for Manoa, he was a very slow worker on the mound. He was very methodical. He liked to, you know, walk around the mound and sort of catch his breath and all that. And obviously was not able to do that. And that's an adjustment. You have to remember this is a guy that like really didn't have a ton of minor league time as well. Like he got um, sort of fat, um, fast forwarded up through um, the Blue Jay system. He had immediate success. He was like really thrown into everything and, um, you know, was uh, basically one of their best pitchers, their ace, um, in his only his second season. And so this was also a season of adjustment. This was also the season where he was kind of not succeeding for the first time, basically in his professional career. Um, and I, I do think that the pitch clock had to be a factor. Uh, and I think there was other factors too. I mean, just the command was not sharp at all. And it was, you know, it was, pitch efficiency was something that was so noticeable from the start. Whereas like last year, he was quite effective at putting guys away. You know, if he would get ahead, he would be able to end that at bat fairly quickly. And he was so reliable last year in the, his ability to go six, seven innings. Like you could always, you can almost bank on it. And this year it was like the complete opposite. Like it was only a handful of times he was able to go six innings. Um, the pitch count would just get so high. He would almost inevitably get ahead of a guy and then before you know it, the pitch counts at 3-2 and he's battling, battling, battling. Um, you know, part of that is just the slider wasn't as effective. And so he's not getting that swing and miss chase pitch. And so then he's battling with a guy. He doesn't have a ton of velo. I mean, he's got like um, anywhere from like 92 to like 95-ish. Um, he's a big guy, but he doesn't throw super, super hard. So he was really reliant, you know, on that slider, that chase pitch. And if your guys are not chasing it or they're kind of, it's a non-competitive pitch. They just know it's out of the zone the entire time. Then, yeah, you got to throw it in the zone and then you get hurt a little bit or you're just, your pitch count gets up and you got to be out of the game at four innings or whatever. It's so, you know, it was just, it felt like a lot of things were contributing to um, his struggles and all those things kind of kept mounting on top of each other. They're so interlinked um, in terms of why he was not able to be as successful as he was. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> hard to add to someone who's uh, still <laughs> intimately involved in uh in what in seen in front front row what's uh what's going on with the with alec manoa i mean i think it's just interesting that they changed you know his business and on the mound um to to kind of maybe recapture some of the lost uh movement on the slider um and then what you have seen is since they moved his position on the mound the walk rate is through the roof um, and so uh, that seems like, I think this is the kind of thing that might be able to be fixed in an off season where you can attach, you can attack it. Like, Hey, let's say the movement on the mound thing works. What you need to do is spend the off season throwing from this new place on the mound right. to kind of remember what it's like to, to throw from there and kind of reestablish your command from there. Uh, if there is movement, missing movement on a slider, it's kind of hard to kind of go through the different grips and go through the different mechanical things and really change anything in season. It's a lot easier when you don't, don't do it facing anybody and you have, you don't have a schedule where you have to be on off five days, this, that, the other, like in the off season, you can, you can spend a lot longer on, on these minutiae. So I do think that he will be, I don't know if he'll kind of reach the same heights uh, as he did when he, when he first broke into the league, but um, I do think he'll be a credible pitcher for them next year. And uh, and I think it'll just it's just one of those things where you just can't solve it in season. So you think about the, the risers, the fallers within the group. Is this as a group at least as good as the rotation the Jays had at the end of last season, Caitlin? I think it's better. I think it's better. Like, uh, I mean, I think that um, Bassett's been a really solid addition. Uh, hasn't been like, you know, perfect, um, but I think he's been kind of exactly what you thought he would be. He's definitely been able to haul innings for the most part. He's had some really great outings and mixed bag outings, but more or less like you're kind of getting what you thought you would get from him. I think you described it as solid. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, but I think the, I think you're getting a lot better from Kikuchi and 
Barrios this year. And then, yeah, you've lost Manoa. Um, and but you're getting Hunjun Ryu now, and he's been really good. Um, he's kind of looked like vintage uh, Ryu going back to like you know 2020 or the last time that he was really effective. And I'm trying. It was Ross Stripling. Ross Stripling was the guy last year um, who was really solid for the Blue Jays. He was basically going to be their um, third starter in the playoffs had they gotten there. Um, so now I think that you're be- like the Ross Stripling of the rotation is like. Kikuchi this year or something like someone that's giving you a lot more than maybe you expected um someone that stepped up and then yeah like Ryu's been really good too so I think their rotation is better than it was last year I think their rotation and their pitching staff has been an overwhelming strength for this team almost unexpectedly to some extent and I don't mean like I didn't think the pitching would be good but I mean that I didn't think the offense would be as inconsistent and as sort of underwhelming as it's been. And so the fact that they've been carried by the pitching staff, I didn't totally expect. I thought this would be sort of like a like a three-pronged approach team where it's actually so much more been heavily reliant on the pitching. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it, but the bullpen's been really good too. And so the offense has been off the hook a little bit to some extent because they've been able to like win these like three, two games or these three, one games or these two, one games um, a lot of the time because the pitching has been so good. Yeah, I was going to throw this to Eno first, thinking about the depth in the Blue Jays bullpen. You look at the pitching plus model and you examine the quality of relievers. This is to me, looks like more than an A bullpen. This looks like five or six truly, really good relievers to where if they run into some problems with the back end starters, Come late September, October, if this is a playoff team, they have guys that can shut you down even in the middle innings, potentially. Is that a fair assessment of this group, Eno? Yeah, I mean, Jordan Romano, I think, is one of the most underrated closers in the game. Um, I, you know, I guess he, you know, he got the all-star game, uh, you know, bid, but I don't know that people put him on their list in the top five, and I think they should. Um and then, you know, I think the Jordan Hicks acquisition was huge. Uh, he's a, a high stuff guy that um, I think sort of brings some of their middle uh, relievers together with Romano. Um, and, uh, you know, now with Swanson, Yumi Garcia, Trevor Richards, it's uh, you've got a mix of, you know, Swanson's a little bit more like a former starting pitcher, which he is, where he's got, you know, a couple, he's got like three pitches and he can kind of locate them. Um, he's not Jordan Hicks who, uh, comes in and blows you away with velo. Um, um, and so you've got different looks. I, I, it's one of the things I like about a good bullpen is when you have, you know, a guy with a plus sinker, oh, we got Jordan Hicks. Oh, you have a guy with a plus four seamer. Oh, we got, uh, you know, Yumi and, uh, and, uh, you know, Pearson, you know, if you'd want a guy with a plus, uh, you know, slider, you got, uh, Jordan Romano and, uh, even, you know, Jay Jackson's been interesting for them. So, like, you know, you've got uh, different pitches, different slots, different looks, and uh, it's a pretty pretty solid pen, I would I would say. Yeah, it looks like a really good group, and they got four relievers right now with a K-minus BB percentage better than 20%. Trevor Richards back from the IL soon. Eric Swanson, Jordan Romano, who you mentioned, and Yumi Garcia. Uh, Jay Jackson, Tim Mesa, pretty close. Nate Pearson could be an extra guy. Later on this season, I think he just got sent down this week. And then, as you mentioned, Hicks is absolutely filthy. Caitlin, we should talk about this position player core for a bit because they have underperformed as a lineup. Mm -hmm. I was taking a look at 2023 versus 2022 for the entire league and looking to see which lineups lost the most in terms of slug and WRC plus. And the Jays are not the worst of the worst, but they're down 10 in WRC plus from last year to this year. And you just wouldn't expect it because it's the same group of players. They've had a few of the veterans actually stay pretty healthy. How much of this is just the change to the ballpark? Roger Center has different dimensions. Has that been a large part of why this lineup just hasn't looked the same so far in 2023? I'm sure it's been a factor. I don't know if it's been a large factor because I think like with Vladdy, um, the issue is not he's hitting them all to the warning track and they're not getting out. The issue is that he's, um, you know, swinging at pitches where he's not going to do damage on a lot of times or he's um, hitting into double plays. Um, again, like not being as selective as possible with his pitches. Alejandro Kirk um, also not having the year that he had last year. Again, hitting a lot of ground balls. Um, you know, you've had basically a great performance from 
Bo Bichette, wire to wire. Obviously, he's on the IL now. He'll hopefully be coming back soon for the Blue Jays, and that'll be a huge boost. And you have some good stories on the Blue Jays. Whit Merrifield having a great season, moved up to the leadoff spot, really succeeding, doing his Whit Merrifield thing, too. I mean, he's actually had some decent power lately, but again, you're getting like just consistently on base, consistently putting the ball in play. You had a great start from Matt Chapman, but he's kind of just been who he is at this point. Um, George Springer also had a bit of an inconsistent season. He's hitting the ball a lot better now, but really struggled there for a while. So you're just like not getting, you're getting like, you know, I don't know what the exact number is, but you're just getting a little bit less than everyone's career norms or what you would expect from them and that's probably all added to not having as dangerous an offense and you know some of it's leveled off by the fact that you're getting maybe a bit more from Kevin Kiermaier than you expected but then you're not getting what you thought you were going to get from Dalton Varsho so like you're not getting it's all balancing out to just be like a little bit underwhelming I think I described the Blue Jays offense a few days ago as like they're uh an above average offense that scores at a below average rate if you look at and any on if you that kind of means you're a below average offense if you're not scoring um but if you think of like just like pure numbers like weighted runs created plus and like ops like you know their numbers don't look that bad they're still probably in the top 10 in the majors they're still slightly above average um but their numbers with runners in scoring position has been awful basically all season it's kind of getting slightly better this month um but i don't know if that's going to stick it's just been this weird thing where i've covered the blue jays in the past where they've had struggles with runners in scoring position as all teams generally do these things can just be a matter of luck or sequencing or whatever it may be and you always think like well this team is a good hitting team eventually it's going to turn eventually there's going to be some positive regression but it just hasn't happened with the Blue Jays. And so then you sort of wonder, well, is it becoming a thing? Is it in guys' heads? Is it getting like every time the bases are loaded, you just feel like I got to do something here. And, uh, you know, there's been a few guys that are still quite effective with runners in scoring position. Bo Bichette's always coming through and and whatnot. But it's been a really sort of strange, confounding season with the offense because it doesn't make total sense why they're not performing better than they are. Yeah, you know, uh, runners in scoring position, that and one-run games, um, they're, they're they're really interesting because statistically, so much noise. Like, there's, <laughs> like, the, the team, how you do in uh, as a team against runners in scoring position last year has nothing to do with how you're going to do this year. Like, this team last year was fine with runners in scoring position. Now, now all of a sudden, they can't, they can't do anything. One-run games are one of those things where, like, if you know the announcers love to say, well, you know, the team is blah 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 and blah 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 and run run games this year, and you're like, well, whatever that number is, you can use that as a narrative to explain why you've been good this year, but you can't use it to predict what's going to happen next year. So it's, <laughs> but it also is not useful for me to tell you that as a as a fan, <laughs> you're like, oh well, don't worry, this won't be a problem next year. Well, what about this year, man? <laughs> yeah. We need to we need to score some runs this year. We can't lose every one run game this year. So it's like. You know, those two things are, you know, it's like a, the statistician wants to be like, don't worry, don't worry. It has nothing to do, no bearing next year. And you're like, well, <laughs> right. I just yeah. want to win some games this year. You know, I, I did. It, you you mentioned Vlad Guerrero. Um, you know, one thing that was interesting to me this year was there was a moment in the home run derby where he he was very adamant about like, I think he sort of pointed to his his. Uh, his I don't know who was pitching to him. Maybe it's the bullpen coach or something. But it was actually the manager, John Schneider. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the manager, John Schneider. He he like he really motioned. He said something about like high and tight. Like he was there was some, and there was some sort of like give it to me here kind of thing, yeah. right? And I was like, oh yeah, that's his happy zone. Like that's where he that's where his power comes from. And I was looking at his heat map for where he swings. And last year he was more concentrated at sort of high and tight and high in the zone. Uh, and and kind of leaving those pitches low in the zone out, like not swinging at those, and he's swinging at those more this year. And that's where the ground balls come from. That's where the double plays come from. And it is hard, though, because those are still pitches in the zone, right? They're just not yeah. his pitches. So he still has an excellent eye in terms of not chasing pitches outside the zone, but he could maybe have a, a more mm, specific approach in terms of uh, what to do there. But sometimes you have to swing at those, like we just saw Juan Soto do this, where like 
they were filling up the bottom of the zone on him. He's a high ball hitter. At some point, he had to be like, okay, okay, all right, you guys are really going nuts down there. I got to do something with those pitches. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm just going to take a ton of called strikes. So there is yeah. like this sort of ebb and flow where Vlad has to prove like, no, I can do something with that. And he's trying to prove he can do something with that. But his best pitches are, you know, high and tight, as we saw from the home run derby. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job Job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. You know, has been summoned for uh, for television. Uh, if you're wondering why he's uh, disappearing in the middle of the show, busy, busy schedule. But Caitlin, I think the other question with Vlad Jr. is just how healthy is he? Right, he had a wrist injury earlier in the year, a uh, knee injury. The fact that they let him participate in the Derby and that he won it makes me think that he is fine <laughs> physically. It's not a health thing. It's more more about things like Eno was talking about, where it comes down to swing decisions and having to make that sort of trade off between working the count a little bit more to possibly get a better pitch to drive or just taking something in the zone and trying to just put it in play and make something happen. Yeah, Vlad has refused to do the home run derby before when he has been dealing with some aches and pains. And so I think that he would only do it if he really felt like it wasn't going to be, you know, damaging for the rest of his season. It's not come up like a health thing and we haven't even really seen him have many rest days or anything like that but you never know like because there was like a wrist thing there was a knee thing um you know you never really know people don't necessarily like talk about it a ton the blue jays haven't mentioned it but that's happened before i remember last year like lourdes guriel jr basically played the whole season with um you know wrist pain and got that fixed in the off season so yeah with vlad i mean it's just been i know he puts a lot of pressure on himself and that's the thing like he feels the expectations he he you know it's it's a lot of different things why it's his last name it's the way that he was um talked about as a prospect it's the fact that he is the face of the blue jays franchise it's the fact that he's had a season where he's been the best hitter in baseball and so there's a lot of stuff that's weighing on him i think when this the team isn't doing as well he loves to win like he really really I mean, everybody loves to win, but I mean, like, he really feels it. He's always talking about the team. He's always thinking about the team, checking the standings, making sure they know, like, where they are and everything. So he's very, very driven that way. And I think he wants to be the guy. Like, he really wants to come through. And he's still so young that I think sometimes that impacts him. I think that probably there's some thinking going on when he's up at the plate and he's so talented that he can run into them a lot of the time. Um, But I just think that there's probably a feeling of pressure and maybe it will help when Bo comes back because I think losing Bo in the lineup has really not been great for the Blue Jays overall and especially for Vlad like not having not being able to hit behind Bo um so they're very different hitters but I think that they really complement and help each other and so I'm interested to see how the Blue Jays lineup looks once they get that boost from Bo because I think that those are types of things that at this time of the year can actually be really helpful it's not like you're getting a new player but the Blue Jays had to play a stretch of 17 and 17 basically without Bobachet the entire time. So at this point, when they're entering uh, another important stretch of their schedule, getting him back could be sort of a lift. Like, okay, here we go. We got a whole team back and we're really ready to 
go on a run here to end the season and sort of solidify ourselves in a playoff position. I, I like to think, and it's easy to forget, Vlad Jr. is 24 years old. This is his fifth big mm-hmm. league season already. He'd be age appropriate to debut in the big leagues yeah. now, and he's got all this experience. Exactly. And here he is on a pace for maybe like 24, 25 homers. He could get hot and hit more, of course. And the question on the screen is, where's Vlad Jr.'s power? It's because the expectations yeah. are off the charts high. I think if we had a format where teams that had higher seeds could actually choose their opponents, I don't think the other AL teams want anything to do with the Blue Jays. I think you can reasonably look at that lineup and say, that's a sleeping giant lineup. There aren't a lot of easy Mm -hmm. outs in that group. Given the improvements to the pitching staff, it's a deep enough rotation. Given the depth of the bullpen, they could be a really nasty team to have to deal with. Regardless of series length, of course, they're probably going to play in the wild card series based on the math if they make the playoffs and all that. But mm-hmm. I, I think the rest of the league respects how good this team actually is. As far as the big question up top, watching them every day, are they better now than they were a year ago? Once Bo comes back, he's getting close, started the rehab assignment on Wednesday at Buffalo. So assuming they get Bo and they're back at full strength, is this a better version of last year's club? Well, they're better in certain ways. Um, They are, I think they're a better playoff built team now because their pitching is better, their bullpen is better, and their defense is a lot better. Their outfield defense has been the best in baseball. Dalton Varsho, for as much as you're not getting from him offensively throughout the course of the season, he's been basically the best defensive player this season. And then Kevin Kiermaier is right behind him in center field. He's been excellent. And then because of that, you've moved George Springer to right field, and he's been completely fine, capable, average out there as well. So you combine that. That is an elite outfield defense. Uh, At third base, you're getting another elite season from Matt Chapman. It was weird. The numbers didn't love him last year, but he's back to putting up elite numbers. It's like something like 11 defensive run saved or something around there now and so Bo's having a pretty solid season at shortstop as well so I feel like you feel pretty comfortable with your your defense and that was a thing last year I mean we all remember how the Blue Jays went out in last year's postseason in very dramatic fashion obviously the offense showed up for that game but what faltered for them it was the defense and it was their pitching and so they are Built, I think, better for postseason baseball now because of that defense and because of that pitching. I think you feel really good about having four great starters. I mean, you're talking about them maybe not even having Hunjin Ryu or something on the playoff roster because they're really feeling good about their four other guys. And you have a bullpen that's super deep where you're like not, you could be pitching, yeah, you could go from like, Swanson to Hicks to Romano. And if you have a lead, you're shutting that other team down for the most part. So I think they're built better. But the key being, are you going to have that lead? Are you going to be able to score? Because you know what? In the postseason, you're facing better teams and you're facing better pitching. So that's the thing for me. Can the Blue Jays offense get hot at the right time? Can they start to click with runners in scoring position at the right time? Obviously, we just had Eno talking about how like that's such a noisy statistic. Like It can turn on a dime at any point. Blue Jays have done a little bit better lately, and I think that's going to be the huge factor. So do I think they're better? Like, I honestly think when you take the what you've lost from the offense and you've what you've gained in the pitching and defense, like, I think they're kind of similar, but they feel more underwhelming because I think offense offensive success sticks out more to fans. I think it's more fun to cheer on runs and be like, oh, we prevented so many runs this year. We've, you know, our defensive run saved is so high. Like fans don't really get jazzed about that. So I think the season has felt, I've written about this a few times, the season's been good on paper, but hasn't quite felt that way because of the weirdness of their season. The fact that they've been so bad against their own division, which has really sunk them to some extent. So To answer your question, I I think they're a legitimate contender. I think they're built really well for the postseason to some extent if their offense can deliver. But honestly, they've got to get to the postseason because it's getting close. The Mariners are on a crowd of run. The Mariners have a pretty easy schedule. It's the Blue Jays are going to have to be playing their best baseball at at the right time to make sure they get into the postseason. Yeah, it never hurts to to get that momentum going though in September to to enter mm-hmm. October playing the best ball you played all season. I could definitely see that happening for Toronto. It's so strange because 
they were the ascendant team in the division and the mm-hmm. Orioles <laughs> faster than expected not only became a team that's in first place in the AL East, but they also have the buzz now. They kind of stole that from Toronto, at least from the outside yeah. looking in. And, and based on the Fangraphs playoff odds, as things sit Thursday, the Orioles are the only team in the AL above 50% odds of clinching the bye as of right now. So it's very, very close. But are you buying the Orioles as the true favorite uh, in the AL East to win the division and eventually eventually earn that buy since the AL Central teams are not going to rise up record-wise and, and push for that spot? Yeah, I think so, because I'm not sure how I feel about the Rays right now. I think they've just been too decimated by injuries and you know other things that are happening with that team right now that i'm not i know that the the gap isn't huge between the orioles and the rays and rays obviously have spent a considerable amount of time first in the division as well so i wouldn't discount them completely but i'm not feeling like they're exactly riding great momentum right now the way that uh, you know their pitching staff has been just decimated and i think for the most part their offense probably overperformed in the first half and it's probably about what you're expecting more so now. And so the Orioles are really good. I mean, they've completely dominated the Blue Jays this season. They are, the Blue Jays have three more games against the Orioles left this year in Baltimore, but they're a really good team. I mean, they can hit Ryan Mountcastle for some reason turns into like Barry Bonds against the Blue Jays. <laughs> He's just insane against them. Uh, their pitching staff is pretty good. I think that there was some concern about the bullpen They've just really been riding a few guys, you know, hard. Bautista is an amazing closer. He's a shutdown guy, but, you know, he's pitching more than he ever has. He's either relying on him more than they ever have. And so that's going to be a sort of a question for me. Maybe not so much about winning the division. Like I do, I don't think the Blue Jays are going to catch them at this point. You know, never say never, I suppose. But I do think it's more realistic that the Blue Jays are aiming for just that wild card. So the Baltimore question I would have is, can they succeed in the postseason? This is a very young team that would be basically a lot of these players first run at the postseason. You're really their starting pitching has been good, but it's not necessarily their strength. They're really reliant on a great offense and scoring big runs. And, you know, they play good defense as well. They're kind of a uh, an exciting team. They run the bases pretty well, too. So they've got a lot of elements there. But I would say, like, I'd be a little concerned about the bullpen coming into the postseason, just the amount of work that they've put in. But I like them to win the division at this point. I think they've built a significant enough lead. And I'm not sure that the Rays will go on enough of a run. And I don't think the Blue Jays can quite catch them. So... Yeah, uh, I'm I'm with you. I, I think I've I've finally come around to the Orioles being more complete than the other clubs, at least for the rest of the regular season. But I do wonder mm-hmm. how much things could flip come October. I, I think yeah, I trust the Jays pitching more because of the depth. If the Orioles, yeah. where I think the Orioles could run into some trouble in longer series is just fatigue on that bullpen. It's a little right. bit like uh, the Nats team that won the World Series a few years ago, where I think if they they shorten up the number of pitchers they use, their best five or six pitchers, three best starters, three best relievers, they could be fine if they only rely on those guys. But that also puts a lot of pressure on some kind of mid-rotation starters to overperform. I don't know, fun team to watch, but I just I wonder how well they're built for October, even though they're very yeah. well built. Uh, for the long haul, you know, the Rays, we learned this week, Shane McClanahan's going to have Tommy John surgery. It didn't look like he was coming back before the end of the regular season anyway, but it's a blow. He's out for probably all of 2024 as well. Wander Franco being placed in the restricted list pending MLB's investigation to the social media post that surfaced over the weekend, alleging that he had an inappropriate relationship with a minor. He may not come back this year for understandable reasons. Reporting on that still ongoing. This roster looks a lot different than it did when they got up to that historically great start for a ton of different reasons. They lost starters earlier in the year with Jeffrey Springs and, and Drew Rasmussen and getting hurt. And it's putting it's putting their depth to the test, right? They added Aaron Savali at the trade deadline. They're getting mm-hmm. by with four starters right now. We know they're a team that will throw an opener in front of a bulk reliever. For years, they've found ways to get it done. I don't know if the depth is good enough right now for them to do it. And they just haven't been the same team offensively from June on that they were in the first two months of the season. They were the best lineup in the league to begin the season. And they've been more of like a league average group doing their thing, mixing and matching. 
this to me seems like a combination of of losses that will keep them from maybe not making the playoffs, but from being that dangerous team they've been in recent postseasons. Yeah, I think that losing McClanahan is devastating for them because he is obviously his um, skills speak for itself and the way that he can pitch, but he's just such a perfect starter for the postseason too, the way that he can just dominate another team. And I think that on top of everything else, that seems to be something that will hang over them for the rest of the season. And I really, you know, wonder if they can get through the postseason given the amount of losses they have. And like you said, like, can their depth really come through? And that's the thing, like their July was so awful and they're lucky. They were lucky. They built such a significant lead in the division. I think at one point they were like 11 and a half games up on the Blue Jays. Blue Jays were either third or fourth in division at that point. I don't know exactly how much ahead of they were at the Orioles at any given time, but it's probably like anywhere between six, seven, eight games, maybe. Um, obviously, that lead is gone. The Orioles have overtaken them, and but they're still pretty sitting pretty in the wild card spot. They would have to have an almost complete collapse to not make the postseason. And their July was pretty much a it was I think one of their worst months in franchise history, and so they've not been good they've not been good in the second half um they're they've lost like half their pitching staff like makes sense and their offense has come down to earth like their offense was way overperforming in the first half um you know april and may were incredible i think june started to come down a little bit and then july was just awful for them so i have learned a lesson as to never discount the rays (laughs) as long as i've been covering the american league east uh and i even coming into the season, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure about the Rays. And immediately they proved us all wrong. But I'm not sure I'm feeling it this year for them. Like, I just think that they've been too decimated by injuries. I'm not sure they could get on a run. They could go on a run. But I'm I'm just not sure that they're built for the postseason at this point, given the sort of dangerous players that they've lost. Yeah, I think it's just going to take a few younger guys emerging to be bigger contributors than expected, right? Jonathan Aranda has been at AAA for most of this year. He's got 25 homers. Mm-hmm. He's got an OPS over 1,000. On many other teams, he would have had more opportunities than four games to contribute at the big league level. So we'll see you know, if it's him or Curtis Mead or some of the other top prospects that have been making their way through that system in recent years. But something has to change. Someone has to step up if they're going to hold their own against the other uh, high-end teams in the AL come playoff time. Uh, real quick, let's just look at the Red Sox and the Yankees, which is such a funny thing to do. I mean, for as long as I've covered baseball and talked about baseball, usually the conversation in AL East only focuses on those two teams and it drives everybody crazy. I was thinking this morning about the Haim Bloom era and how weird it's been, right? I mean, 2020 mm-hmm. was his first year on the job. Weird year for everybody in the world for obvious reasons. That was the year they traded away Mookie Betts. They finished 24-36. and They were last in the AL East. They didn't make the playoffs that year in the expanded, the extra expanded 2020 postseason. (laughs) They go to the ALCS in 2021. That's just two years ago, right? They lose to the Astros. No shame in that. Astros are a fantastic franchise, but that was a 92-win wildcard team. That wasn't a dominant AL East team. They just, they got there. They got there. They played well, had a nice season. Last year, they go 78 and 84, last in the AL East. This year, they're six above 500, 500 entering play on Thursday, fourth in the division. If they were, if they weren't playing in the AL East, unfortunately they do, they would be looked at a lot differently. But I also think the way they handled the trade deadline was understandably frustrating for Red Sox fans. It's like, hey, we're good enough to go get players. Why, why are we not trying to get better? especially with the return of Trevor Story. He's looked pretty good since coming off the the IL from that long-term elbow injury. So the odds say 13.4% chance of making the playoffs. Somehow it feels longer than that. Are you buying Boston is still having a, a puncher's chance of working their way back in and, and finding finding their way into the postseason? I don't think so. I think that the Blue Jays played them a few weeks ago, and it was um, a series in which the Boston could have overtaken the Blue Jays. Um, or moved into a wild card spot if they had swept them. And the Boston does have the season series against the Blue Jays because they played really well against them the first few games. Um, but the Blue Jays ended up sweeping them. And 
So that turned into, um, you know, basically the Blue Jays giving themselves a pretty healthy lead over Boston as opposed to losing a playoffs position. So I think that the thing with Boston is the their offense has always been good and their offense continues to be good. They can hit. Um, they have a really dangerous offense, but their defense is so bad and their pitching has just been really inconsistent. Like I know James Paxton has been pretty good. But he still has some starts where he's not so good. The bullpen kind of shaky and the defense is just such an issue. And I know Trevor Story, I believe, is back now. So maybe that's a bit of a difference maker. But I am um, I think that this is probably not gonna be the year for them. And I understand, like I think Ken Rosenthal like wrote a column right around the trade deadline or right after it, talking about Haim um and his time in Boston. And it, it does feel like there's been it's like almost like he pushes when he should pull and he pulls when he should push. Like it sometimes feels like it he's not quite in sync as to like what he should do or maybe there I don't know him. I've never really talked to him, so I'm not sure like I could speak to his thinking at all, but it is strange to watch the Red Sox from the outside because, you know, last year it was weird. They were an okay team except against the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays absolutely destroyed them last year. I think they went 16 and 3 against them. Um this year Boston has played the Blue Jays a lot better um, other than this last series. And so they've looked like a better team to me, but I agree. Like at the trade deadline, they were kind of right there and there was enough time to do something, but I don't know, like maybe there's something that they see in the underlying numbers. Like, you know, our poor defense is not going to cut it or, you know, we just don't have a deep enough bullpen or our rotation. We don't have a playoff built rotation. And so May I, I know like I am coming from the Rays organization, like maybe he does sort of get caught up in those kinds of thinking and that kind of num numbers and thinking like, okay, statistically, like we're just not a team built for a deep postseason run. So we're not going to jeopardize the future. I think the one thing about the Red Sox is they do look like they are ushering a new era there. And so maybe there's some good teams coming in Boston. Yeah, Tristan Cass is putting together a nice season. I mean, that certainly helps as far as the long-term future goes. Yoshida looks like a nice free agent signing. I don't know if he's ever going to be, mm -hmm. you know, a lot better than he is now given age upon arrival in the big leagues. But maybe just adjusting to a new country, you can say, hey, look, year two, year three might be a notch better than year one. Year one's been pretty good, but sales healthy again. Pavetta moving to the bullpen and coming back. He's actually looked a lot better since that adjustment. James Paxton, I'll put him in the more good than bad profile, just that he's yeah. healthy and, and pitching well at all is really good. Cutter Crawford's been a nice story. Brian Bayo's solid. So like the rotation's pretty good. The bullpen, I think, is a little bit unheralded, but actually has some quality arms in it too. From the outside looking in, I, I'm like, well, I, you guys should check your math again. You don't look that bad. That, that's the way yeah. I look at it. But this comes back to ownership and spending, right? I mean, this team was 12th in opening day payroll per COTS. It's the first time they were outside of the top eight since 2000. That's as far back as the data goes. Usually this is a team that's top five in payroll. And under Haim Bloom, they've spent a little bit less. And I think that's an ownership directive. I think they saw the Probably. success the Rays were having and said, hey, let's spend less money on payroll. And, and see if we can make it work. Uh, last AL East question, Caitlin. The Yankees. Is it over for the 2023 Yankees? Is, is it fair to call them an unmitigated disaster as uh, Chris Kirshner did in the, uh, the Pulse newsletter today? I haven't seen the Yankees in a long time. Um, the Jays have had such a weird schedule this year where I think they played the Yankees a little bit in April and May. They had a dramatic, chaotic series against the Yankees where, you know, the coaches were fighting and Aaron Judge was making side eye glances and everything. And I don't think I've seen the Yankees since then. It's been a long time. So I kind of, I mean, obviously I keep an eye on them in, in, in the division, but Aaron Judge going down for as long as he did just completely sunk them. I mean, I've watched the Yankees enough for the last two years that the Aaron Judge can be a team alone. He's beat the Blue Jays alone. I've seen him do it. I've seen him hit multiple home runs in a game and just completely carry his team to wins. He did that last year. I think it's fair to say like the year that he had last year and the fact that the Yankees got out to um, the the lead that they got out to and winning the division and having some success last year directly correlates with Aaron Judge having the best season of his career. And so I just think that they're, I was surprised how often I saw them as preseason picks because I was like, 
This is a team, this is an Aaron Judge team, and if anything happens to him, they are cooked. Like, this is an old lineup. This is an, a lineup that I don't feel great about outside of a handful of guys at the top. And then you have Anthony Rizzo having a disaster season with the obviously the concussion and then the post-concussion symptoms that we find out about later. Just not getting enough from that lineup. And that was predictable to me. Like, I could have seen that happen. I mean, it was just an old, it's an old roster. It still is an old roster. It's so judge reliant. And yes, they are still an amazing bullpen. They've always been able to have a great bullpen. The, the Yankees deserve credit for having that for the last number of years. Like they've always reliably had a great bullpen and yeah, you're getting a great season from Garrett Cole, but they've also had not getting the performances from starters that they got last year. Cortez has not been the same guy. Um, you know, they've had a lot of issues with their rotation. So a lot has gone wrong with the Yankees as well. And so you have to, as a front office, kind of kind of anticipate like worst case scenarios. And I feel like they just weren't a team that was well built for somewhat of a worst case scenario season. And we've just seen them sink. And I haven't watched them enough to know if they are an unmitigated disaster, but I'll trust I'll just trust Chris's words for that. Uh, I think they're done. I mean, I was lit. I saw a little bit and it's like, they'd need a lot of help. They need us like the Blue Jays would have to die and the Rays would have to not really sink. Like they'd need a ton. They Boston would have to go away. The Mariners would have to slow down. Like they just, they have to leapfrog too many teams on top of the fact that they'd have to start, you know, going on a tear and winning a series and winning a sweeping series and just going on quite a run. So I don't, I don't see it happening. It's remarkable. One game below 500 entering play on Thursday. I saw it on MLB Central this morning. They've been shut out in four of their last seven games. A series against Atlanta doesn't help, but it just seems like they're on fumes with, with too much time left to really turn it around at this point. It could be a pretty big offseason of shakeups for that core, and I'm right there with you. It's a team that got really old. Like You you always mm-hmm. give a team's credit for going out and, and adding in free agency. They did it. They, they spent the money on Judge. They added Carlos Rodon. Unfortunately, Rodon just has not had a stretch of really being healthy at all this year. Maybe they can get him healthy for 2024, and that goes a long way. And Luis Severino, I mean, we talked about the Jose Barrios and Alec Manoa collapses from last year and this year. The what's wrong with Luis Severino question is one that we're going to take an entire offseason to unpack because I thought he was going to cruise into free agency with a great season in 2023, and that has not happened either one more fun question before we go. I was looking at the Jays' schedule as we were getting ready to record this episode, and I noticed that in Canada, it's it's loony hot dog day. It's not dollar <laughs> hot dog day. We have that here in the States, of course. But it got me thinking, going to cover games, being at the yard as often as you go, what is your favorite day to be at the ballpark? Either a giveaway day or some kind of special or circumstances at the ballpark that make covering a game more fun, right? Because going every day, I, I imagine like covering games can become a little ordinary. Mm-hmm. But is there anything that pops up on the calendar that you as a, a writer just love to be at the park for? Yeah, I have a good example. So Looney Hot Dog Day does not do anything for me because I don't <laughs> eat meat. Um, I don't eat meat. I don't eat hot dogs. So I don't participate in that. I'm sure it is fun seeing how many hot dogs get um, consumed. Uh, the Blue Jays take a lot of pride in, um, I guess, setting records for hot dogs eaten. But what I love, the days that I love going to the ballpark, and this is fresh in my mind because we just had this, is uh, the Blue Jays do a really good job, or at least lately they've done a really good job at these pregame ceremonies. So we just had one for Jose Bautista. They put him on the level of excellence, which if you're unfamiliar, it's basically like the Toronto Blue Jays Hall of Fame. So they put his name up on the stadium. It's, you know, all the Blue Jays greats are there. Roy Holiday, Carlos Delgado, um, Cito Gaston's on there. So all the greats are up there. And Jose was the obvious guy to go up next. And it finally happened. And so he was in Toronto. The Blue Jays signed him to a one-day contract so he could retire as a Blue Jays, as he rightly should. He was an icon here. And then the next day, they had a pregame ceremony it was really well done they invited a ton of his former teammates his his family was there a lot of people that were really meaningful um to him were there the blue jays had great videos they gave him a number of beautiful gifts they had this mural painted for him that is now hanging in downtown toronto they obviously unveiled his name and then there was a kind of a speech and then video presentation from jose himself and so that was really well done. It was so cool to be there because the fans were going 
crazy for him, understandably so. But even just the other guys coming back and getting to see these former players, John Givens or Gibby was a very popular manager. Jerome, he got like the loudest cheer I've ever heard, honestly. Like it was just as loud for Gibby as it was for Jose. And just like being there and having like the fans like chanting and seeing those old videos, obviously like the bat flip moment is very meaningful to everybody in Toronto. Uh, it, for me, it's... um my generation, like I'm a little bit too young to remember. Well, I'm not young anymore, but like at the time, like 92, 93, I was just uh, a young baby. So I don't remember those World Series. And there's a lot of people that are of my age where Blue Jay success and postseason baseball was not really happening a lot in our childhood. And then 2015 and 2016 came along and Jose was obviously the face of those amazing teams. And the bat flip moment was basically the greatest moment in um, playoff history from people of my generation. Like, that's their moment. I know the Joe Carter home run is the moment in Blue Jays history, but a lot of people weren't, you know, alive for that or, you know, old enough to appreciate that. So that was really cool to see. And the Blue Jays and just have done a few ceremonies like this in the past. Last year, they had a really great one for celebrating the 92 uh, team that won the World Series. It was a 30-year anniversary, I believe. Um, and so they've just done a, a really good job with some of those ceremonies. So I would say I like being there for those because they're just fun to watch. Like I just, I like being a part of, well, not, I'm not a part of them, but I like witnessing them and seeing, seeing, you know, the memories and all that kind of stuff come back. That's cool. It sounds like the org does a great job with all of the bringing people back is a big part of that. It creates a mm-hmm. more special environment at home the day you do that especially if you do it on a, a weekday or a day when the park ordinarily wouldn't have as much of a buzz it seems like a way of getting a, a bit more lift and i can't think of the last time i saw anything like that before a game the problem a lot of the games i've gone to in milwaukee you're outside in the parking lot in, enjoying a couple of beers and having some having some fun outside before you go in you go in and first pitch is happening as you find your seat so i i, I got to see some of those because i think that's a a great day to be at the ballpark. We are going to sign off on our way out the door. A reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for just $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can get all of Caitlin's great coverage of the Blue Jays, everything else we've got league-wide as we move through the stretch run here toward the postseason. You can find Caitlin on Twitter at Caitlin C. McGrath. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. That's going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. We're back with you on Friday. Green light.